Uh, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to be pulling those out. We're going to be in Luke uh, chapter 4 in just a moment. Uh, last week, we began a new series that I'm calling World Game Changer. Uh, our vision was mentioned just a moment ago, and our vision at this church is that we want to see kingdom-devoted disciples, making disciples of nations and generations. This is what we believe God is calling us to and we have been laying that out over the past several months. And that first part of that vision, kingdom devoted disciples, uh, that we put first what Jesus said to seek first. And so that first word in our vision is kingdom, but kingdom devoted disciples, uh, what does that mean? What does that look like uh, as a church family? And so in this series, we are exploring the world game changing reality of Jesus's coming. The inauguration of the kingdom, why he came, and the good news that he came to share and proclaim and how we live into the reality of becoming kingdom devoted disciples. As I said last week, in a few weeks, uh, there's going to be in our city, 108 nations represented for the Birmingham World Games. And so you'll notice on the stage, uh, all the flags that uh, are uh, representative of even more than the 108 nations that will be here. And, and so uh, you'll notice that this reminds us, the reason that I wanted to have this visual uh, behind me is that it reminds us that God's kingdom is a kingdom of every nation. It is a kingdom of every tribe. It is a kingdom of every tongue. And so yes, we, we see over here the, the flag of the United States of America, a country that I love, a country that I'm grateful to be a part of. But we also see the countries of Rwanda and Honduras and the, the, the various countries across the world that, that make up uh, the kingdom of God. And my question this morning is, do we really believe that? And if so, how does that change the way that we live? How does that inform how we do life? So in Luke chapter 4, uh, Jesus had just been tested in the wilderness. If you'll look in that, that chapter, if you have your, your Bibles open, you'll, you'll see that Jesus had just been tested in the wilderness. He reads from the prophet Isaiah in the synagogue. He almost gets thrown off a cliff. He casts out a demon, and then he heals Peter's mother-in-law from a high fever. How's your day going? This is how Jesus did life. And so in verse 40, uh, we get to a continuation of all these things that have just happened. Verse 40, Luke chapter 4, at sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Verse 41, moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, you are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. If you just do a survey of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you just read straight through them, what, what you'll notice is that Jesus talked about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven more than anything else. He talked about it more than money. He talked about it more than baptism. He talked about it more than anything. The kingdom of God and the good news thereof. This is what Jesus says he was sent to proclaim. 
Repent, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent, turn from your ways because you have the power to do so through Christ. This is what the kingdom of God is like, he would say. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is how he taught his disciples to pray. Jesus lived, breathed, proclaimed the kingdom of God. This is who he was. God's kingdom is present on earth whenever and wherever God's will is done as it is in heaven. Author Gordon Fee describes it this way. He says, the community that lives the life of the future in the present. This is kingdom-devoted discipleship. This is why I was sent, Jesus says, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. So today is not only Father's Day, it's not only the day that I became a father 11 years ago. Uh, Today is also known as Juneteenth, which was observed federally, uh, will be observed federally tomorrow. So the holiday commemorates the Emancipation Proclamation. President Abraham Lincoln issued a proclamation that freed enslaved African Americans and secessionist states on January 1st, 1863. But enslaved people in Galveston, Texas would not learn of their freedom until two years later. On June 19th, Juneteenth, 1865, Major General Gordon Granger informed the community of Galveston of Lincoln's proclamation. Though it had been issued years prior, enslavers were held responsible for telling the enslaved that they were free, and some ignored the directive. And these were way before the days of social media, way before the days of telephone, way before the days of mass communications. So Major General Gordon demanded that Galveston locals comply with this proclamation. Why am I telling you this? Well, how devastatingly tragic is it for those who needed the news of freedom the most to be withheld that very news that would set them free? So that's some of what Jesus is going to say in just a few verses. And after Jesus calls Peter and after he calls James and John to follow him, Jesus heals a man, he withdraws to pray, and then he heals and forgives another man. And then we see in Luke chapter 5, verse 27, if you'll flip over a page, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me. Follow me, Jesus said to him. Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. Verse 30, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners sinners to repentance. Hall of Famer Dick Buckus, the legendary linebacker for the Chicago Bears, and Floyd Little, Hall of Fame running back for the Denver Broncos, were in a violent collision during a football game. Uh, Floyd Little passed away just this past year, uh, but Buckus had hit Little so hard that 
Little had trouble getting up, but Little didn't want anyone to know that he was hurting after he was tackled. He definitely didn't want Buckus to know how much that, that he was struggling uh, to get up. And, and so he, he, he gets up as, as quickly as he can, a little dazed and confused. And, and so Dick Buckus looks at him and, and just, just says, Floyd, are, are you okay? And Floyd Little looks back at Dick Buckus and said, of course I'm okay. Why are you asking me that? Dick Buckus says, because, Floyd, you're in the wrong huddle. <laughs> and then Hall of Fame, Floyd Little in his Hall of Fame speech, I love this. He said that I'm still standing and I give all glory to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, most everyone in Jesus' day felt like Levi, felt like this tax collector was in the wrong huddle. He felt, they felt like that this, this is not how it should go. This is not how it should be. We have our sect. Did you notice that word in Scripture? We have our sect. This is our sect. That means nobody else can get in this circle, this sect, because there's certain parameters. There's, there's certain boundaries. There's, there's certain things that you have to do. There's certain ways you have to behave. There's certain ways that you have to do life in order to be in this sect. Most everyone in Jesus' day felt like Levi was absolutely in the wrong huddle. And the Pharisees were a bit dazed and confused seeing Jesus eat with the sinners, seeing Jesus eat with the tax collectors. And Jesus didn't refute the fact that they were sinners. He simply acknowledges that, that sinners were who he came for. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Aren't you thankful? Jesus looks at people through the eyes of a doctor and not the eyes of a judge. And here's what I want to just offer us just for just a few minutes. I want to give you just three questions this morning. And here's, here's question number one. Is that what gives us the right to do the exact opposite of Jesus? What gives us the right to do the exact opposite of Jesus. If I'm honest with myself, I'm quick to look at others through the lens of judgment. If I can put you in a category, then I can immediately judge and dismiss. And so if you're a Republican, well, that's all I need to know. If you're a Democrat, well, that's all I need to know. If you're an Auburn fan, that's all I need to know. If you're an Alabama fan, that's all I need to know. I can put you in a category. If you're in this category, then you're with me. If you're not in this category, you're not with me. You know, and so we, we do this all this time. And, and can, I, can I just tell you, as you read through the Gospels, Jesus hates categories. <laughs> he hates the pecking order. He, he, he comes on the scene and, and he says, look, this is, this, is not, this, is, this is why I came. Why I came is because... There are folks that, that need a doctor. This, this is why I'm here. I, I came to proclaim this, this kingdom, this reign of God, this rule of God, where, where the love of God is, is what transforms and, and alters the lives of people. Does that mean that we should neglect to use discernment when choosing who to be around? No, of course we should use discernment. But I believe Jesus knew the Father heart of God. Because he chose to spend time with his father. 
We read in Luke 5.42 a moment ago that Jesus went to a solitary place. But if you look back in, in verse 16, you'll notice just this, this really short insert that Dr. Luke puts in there. Verse 16, he says that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and did what? And he prayed. Uh, Andrew Peterson, who is the author of the Wing Feather Saga, he's also written several songs. Uh, some would say that this four series of, of novels is the Chronicles of Narnia of our day, the Wing Feather Saga. Uh, but recently he wrote another book called uh, God and, and the Garden. Uh, just talking about uh, culture and talking about uh, the kingdom and talking about uh, creation. And so one of Peterson's observation is that trees need to be still in order to grow. We need to be still in order to see that God's work in us and around us is often slow and quiet, patient and steady. And Peterson goes on to say that the pleasure of solitude is not loneliness but the nearness of love. Let that sink in, church. That the pleasure of solitude is not loneliness, but the nearness of love. I'm convinced if we are going to see one another the way that Jesus sees one another, the way that Jesus sees us, if we're gonna see through the lens in which Jesus saw through, then we have to become a people who practice what Jesus practiced. And so if you are interested in learning how to be a better three-point shooter and Steph Curry rolled in here and, say, and said, hey, here's a few things that I do to practice shooting three-pointers, you might want to listen to the guy. Like he's hit a couple three-pointers in his day. He kind of knows how, how that works. He was ranked the 256th player in his class in 2006. Now he got four rings on his fingers. You might want to just stop and listen to how Steph Curry practices. How much more should we model our practice after Jesus? How much more should we take the practices of Jesus and apply those into our own lives? Here's question number two. When's the last time you were still on purpose? I'm not talking about when you were forced to be still. I'm not talking about when you went to sleep. When was the last time that you were still on purpose? When was the last time you changed that phrase from, hey, don't just, don't just sit there, do something, to don't just do something, sit there? When was the last time you, you were still on purpose? As the old proverb goes, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time is right now. In Luke 6, the very next chapter, Jesus says, verse 45, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. How do you get filled up? How do you get filled up? Are you getting filled up through social media? Is that how you get filled up? Do you get filled up through binge watching Netflix? How do you get filled up? Do you get filled up from shopping? Do you get filled up from, from, from playing a particular sport? How do you get filled up? Dr. Tony Evans says 
says it this way in the book out in the foyer today, just as God has a kingdom agenda that involves his comprehensive rule over every area of life, Satan has an agenda as well. The enemy pursues his agenda by intentionally penetrating the same four realms that God works through to manifest his glory, the individual, the family, the church, and society. Men, the enemy knows that if he can't get you, he's going to go after those around you. But if he can get you, he can get your family. If he can get you, he can get those around you. By destroying your family, he increases the potential to destroy future generations. First Peter 5 says this, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around you like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. John chapter 12, verse 31. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Jesus came to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. He came to call sinners, you and me, to repentance. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And the goal of the gospel, church, is not to affirm you. The goal of the gospel is not to celebrate you. The goal of the gospel is not not to accept you. The goal of the gospel is to rescue you. The goal of the gospel is to transform you. The goal of the gospel is to redirect you. So the final question is, will you follow him with expectancy rather than complacency? I'm going to ask us to stand, and I'm going to ask the praise team to join me back on stage together as we pray the prayer of our Lord. It'll be on the screen as we share this word of prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.